Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a whole and healthy life. So today's guest is a very cool naturopath. His name is Benjamin Alter from Carbondale, Colorado, and he treats his patients as if they actually have the power to heal themselves. Healing, as he sees it, comes from within. He points out that we had healing long before we had scientific medicine, before we had surgeries, before we had pharmaceuticals, that we've always had modalities and ways of looking at the world and substances and practices that stimulate the body's own healing powers. And that's ultimately where healing always comes from. And of course, this introduces a wonderful and frustrating messiness into the scientific pursuit of truth, because your body's ability to heal itself is not something that can be controlled, randomized for, replicated. And so science kind of has dealt with this messiness by at best pretending that it doesn't exist and at worst actively denigrating people's subjective experiences of illness and healing. You know, it wasn't in a big enough clinical trial, so uh, there's no evidence for it. So in our conversation, Ben and I talk about his definition of health and how it connects to a much larger concept of freedom, which is extremely important to him, and why our increased lifespans over the past 50 years may not equate to true health. Despite having all these medical technologies and pharmaceutical innovations, we are actually disempowered by our dependence on these external sources, not of health, but of symptom remediation. We don't just complain, though. We talk about solutions as well, about how to align ourselves with the laws of the universe to take back our own agency and how to make the world a healthier place for everyone. This episode also includes video in which you can see in the beginning. We, I mentioned the, uh, the beautiful decorations in his office and how different they are from your typical uh, allopathic MDs, wall charts and skeletons. And uh, so we, we uh, YouTube this. So if you go to today's episode on Plant Yourself, which is plantyourself.com slash 342, you can catch that YouTube video or just check out the Plant Yourself YouTube channel. And it will be the most recent one if you're listening to this today. If you're not, then it won't be the most recent one. And a few quick announcements before we get to that interview. First of all, coach training 
resumes in November. If you're interested in becoming a wicked effective health coach, check out wellstartcoach.com. And Kevin Davis and I will be leading that class. Second, Josh Lajani and I still have a couple of seats left, a couple of spaces left for our November North Carolina retreat, our health retreat. And if you want to find out more about that, go to sick2fit. That's the number two, sick2fit.com slash retreat. Third of all, a coaching slot has opened up on my calendar. If you're interested in working with me directly to change your health destiny, to change your habits and behaviors and to really take back control, then you should check out the laser coaching option at plantyourself.com slash laser. Or if that doesn't work for you, you can just email me and we can have it get on a conversation and figure out what would work. That's just hj at plantyourself.com. All right, that's the business out of the way. So let's get to it. A conversation about wholeness, healing and freedom. Without further ado, Dr. Benjamin Alter, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Howard Jacobson. Yeah, well, one of us is a real doctor, so let's <laughs> let's let's not throw that word around. <laughs> I don't know. I guess the audience will have to tell which one yeah. who is the real doctor. Well, <laughs> spoiler alert: not not me. Um, so we're 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 skyping. So we're we're. Um, we're doing video as well for people who are used to hearing this uh, auditorial. And you have these uh, beautiful prints behind you on the wall, and they, they look sort of um, Indian or Ayurvedic and maybe like the elephant god. And um, yeah, they are, you know, they are actually my, my wife picked them up when she was abroad in Nepal. She spent some time over there. And I don't know, I know she made actually a connection with the artist of these paintings. They're called Tonka paintings, but the, the nuances of exactly who they are and what they represent, I'm not sure. However, the one in the middle is the, the medicine Buddha. So that kind of uh, has always spoken to me, the, the medicine man, so to speak. Okay. I mean, you know, so when I go to doctor's offices, I usually see like, you know, skeletons and uh, <laughs> certificates of advanced study and things. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pointing out, you know, the other thing that I can see in your background, there's a lot of books, but the one that I recognize is how not to die. Oh, uh, well, there, we've actually got a couple of those, a couple copies of those, I should yeah. say. So so what I'm what I'm getting at is that your your practice is is a combination maybe of you know like really evidence based stuff as uh, as represented by Michael Greger's book with a gazillion and nine citations and references and a spiritual piece that presumably there's no uh, you know double blind randomized controlled studies on um, so it seems it seems like your practice is very I don't know if the word is eclectic or comprehensive or big tent. Tell, tell, tell us about like what's what's your, you know, your operating philosophy of, of medicine yeah. and healing. For sure. Well, thank you. First of all, I guess, thank you for pointing out these things that I guess they're just part of my life. And yeah, I guess they do represent how I live and also how I practice medicine. Um, so yeah, those, the words that describe like what kind of doctor I am, I'm always, I, I'm not sure. I and mean, I mean, eclectic is definitely an interesting adjective. Uh, holistic, I think is thrown around all over the place nowadays. Um, but whatever it is, I guess, um, 
you know, I, I really, what, what the, what is at the core of my philosophy with regard to medicine and healing is that we are all our own healers. We all have the innate ability to heal ourselves. And not only do we have the ability, that's the only way we only take responsibility within and kind of live in a way that I like to say is aligned with nature that naturally promotes health. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what they need to do to find like what, 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 hole or gap they need to fix in order to be healthy or live healthfully but it's always it's always just about living aligned with nature and the byproduct of that is health hmm so i mean that's yeah i'm trying to process all all the implications of that that we are our own healer um and you know i mean let's let's get back to this idea of um of evidence, right? So you know, clearly ev evidence and evidentiary medicine is very important to you. I've read a whole bunch of your blog posts and you're pointing out. And, and yet this idea of like we can be our own healer brings in a kind of subjectivity that that throws a really messy wrench into evidence based, research based, studied, well constructed, study design based medicine, because how, how do you you know, how do you think how do you think about truth based yeah. with a paradigm that, that includes so much beautiful messiness? Oh, what a great messy topic to dive into. I mean, I like to think about the world of science as we know it today has really only been around for, I don't know, a couple, maybe 100 years, like mm. the way we know it, we see it today. And obviously, set the, the world of science has evolved um, but before there was scientific theory, I guess you would say that, or like the practical application of research that as we know it today, there have, has been health and healing. Our, our health is not dependent on any scientific studies or any evidence. We can see it and experience it in every one of our bodies as we are navigating and moving throughout the world. So while the evidence-based medicine and research supports us in understanding really what's going on within the body and what's going on within populations and all the different levels of research that we can look at and do. Uh, we have to know that health is not dependent on research statistics or data. You know, that is one aspect of it, but that's not where I like to look at. Um, I like to look at what people's experience are in their life in their, you know, with regard to their health and their healing process. Um, and I know that a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, the anecdotes really aren't worth anything. But I that's just where I disagree, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, and so, I mean, when we look at, you know, like health and healing before the scientific revolution, what people will will point to is how bad it was. Right. Yeah. So, you know, women dying in childbirth because they were being attended by physicians who had just come from an autopsy and hadn't washed their hands or, oh, let's do bloodletting. Right. Or let's apply leeches or let's give people mercury enemas. Um, so when people are really talking about how bad it was, they're, they're not talking about health and healing, per se, so much as an inept profession doing harm. Yeah, I think that a lot. I mean, I've definitely looked at a lot of research or a lot of uh, I've read some books that point to the fact that, hey, we are a lot better off today than we were 
50, 100, 200, 500 years ago, whatever. We're, our evolution is carrying us into a, a healthier world. And on one hand, it's like, yes, we are being kept alive longer with the help of technology and with the help of chemicals and artificial things to some degree. But really, when we're looking at the, if we, if we could measure life beyond lifespan, beyond years, and we could measure a quality of life, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced that our life is greater today than it was 50 or 100 years ago. Even though we have more years and people are living longer, I know that the last 20, 30, 40 years sometimes even of people's lives is not an enjoyable process, even though people are alive. And it's not, it's not a, a good representation of health, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. Lifespan alone, yeah. Right. So, you know, I do, I do a lot of selling and marketing and work in the healthcare industry. And the only time we use the word health in the healthcare industry is when we say healthcare industry. Other, right. Otherwise, we don't talk about health. We don't talk about healing. We're not allowed to say cure. Um, mm -hmm. So what let's maybe let's let's get fundamental. Like what's your definition of of health? Great question. And I like to bring it to a real simple definition. Health is freedom. Health is freedom. Health is our physical health is our freedom to be unconstricted, unrefrained in moving our bodies physically and engaging with activities that we want to do with the greatest level of freedom that we have access to. And then I think, you know, with regard to mental health, we have, you know, we have mental health is the freedom to, to think clearly and to, to analyze things clearly, use our cognitive function clearly. And then emotional health is the freedom to experience the, the rainbow of emotions that human beings have access to throughout their lives and not to get hung up on any of them or judge any of them, uh, you know, with undue reason and just kind of allow that fluid flow of emotions through us. And then, you know, spiritual health is freedom to, to connect and experience our innate nature and the truth of who we are and that clear, clear connection that we always have awakening to that. So I like to just focus on the, the simplicity of health as being freedom. And sure, there's a lot of, you know, you can dive in to analyze any one of those layers of health deeper, mm -hmm. but that's what health is. Well, I mean, that's a really interesting paradigm because the opposite of freedom, in a, in a sense, is kind of um, dependence. And so much of Western medicine fosters dependence, right? So kind of, you know, we, we have to rely on things outside ourselves. I saw an article in the paper today about people lining up to go to Canada to get their insulin. Um, that, you know, that I, I, for me, a healthcare system would empower people to to be the source of their health, as, as you stated, rather than having people rely on substances and procedures outside of themselves. Um, yeah, I we're on board there. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And back to the the points about science and research. I think the the system and the paradigm that is established today has us disempowered as consumers, as individuals in the world. We are always, we are in a place where we are looking for the answers from the doctors, from the research papers, from the higher level thinkers or scientists out there. 
but like I said, you know, we are our, we are our own healers. There's, there's no doubt about it. Like we, when it comes to true health that you and I know, um, the health that we experience through how we live our lives, there's no research paper or doctor who can give us any sort of information or pill or other magic potion that would allow us to experience greater than greater levels of health. You know, it's up to how we are thinking, moving, eating, relating with others throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, so we're we're both, I think, judging from your blog posts, part of the the plant based movement around like this is the way to this is the way to fuel the human body. And there's not a ton of talk in the plant based you know, a clinical community about these other things, right? So, you know, about like, you know, like eat plants, they're, they're the medicine, as opposed to, um, you know, a plant-based diet is part of what you call like a natural, authentic human existence. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you talk to your patients about the role of plants as part of this paradigm of we are our own healers? Yeah. Well, I like to empower people as, um, you know, when we live in a way that's aligned with the laws of nature, aligned with the universal principles, we experience health as a natural byproduct, kind of like we talked about before. And when it comes to the natural laws of nutrition, you know, there, there's just kind of science on how the body works. You know, I went to school and, and studied biochemistry, studied, um, you know, how cells are fueled, studied how antioxidants and phytochemicals nourish the body and promote health and detoxification. And these, you know, these biochemical physiological laws of nature dictate our health. And I don't think there's ways to get around it in any sort of dependable, lasting, sustainable sort of way. People can go on all sorts of crash diets to experience something, a shift in biochemistry, which may lead them to feeling better for some period of time. But when it comes to longevity, when it comes to authentic, sustainable health, there's just simply, you know, proper ways of living and fueling the body. And I think you and I know that, right? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm so fascinated by the whole keto movement, right? <laughs> right, which which claims to like take these natural laws and have discovered a hack, right? Like there's right. This, there's this back door to health that uh, you know, like do you, and I noticed you had a in our, an article about like bone broth and like do you get people who come to you um, embracing keto, thinking that that's a natural thing to do? All the time, all the time. People are like, you know, oh, you're a naturopathic doctor. Oh, I've been doing keto and I feel like pretty good. And it's like, oh, well, that's great. But <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't advocate that in any way, shape or form ever. Um, but actually, that that's not entirely true. When people are talking to me about ketosis and the ketogenic diet, I say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of ketosis. You know, fasting, that's how we have gotten into a ketogenic state throughout human history for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Fasting allows our glycogen to be depleted, allows us to get into the fat burning. We know that. But like you said, this backdoor hack that people think they've discovered by just drinking oil and sticking, putting sticks of butters in their coffee and stuff like that, 
that's not health. It never has been, never will be. It's, it's a hack. And I also wrote an article about biohacking and how that relationship to health is just by nature, unsustainable, unrealistic, undependable. So I think that we have to shift our relationship to health and from a place of hacking our way to health to a place of just naturally being aligned against, again, with the laws of nature. Yeah, let's let's talk about biohacking. I, I didn't I didn't see that article, um, <laughs> but I, I've I was reading recently about like one, one of the interesting linguistic things is that for years and years and years when women did things, they were dieting. And now all these like Silicon Valley tech bros are doing the same thing, but they have to call it biohacking, right? Cause, <laughs> right. Cause, so, yeah, di dieting is not cool anymore. Right? So, it's all about hacking. Yeah. yeah. So what's what's what is your take on on hacking? Um, you know, because it comes from an interesting place. Like, oh, how can I be my best? Like, where right. does it, where does it go off the rails? Well, I, I agree with you. You know, I think if you're coming out of a place from a place of how can I live in a way that's just really good? How can I get from here to here and this being like optimal health? I, I'm all about that. Right. Um, but the term hack and the, the feeling that comes with hacking, it's like a shortcut. It's like finding a shortcut, some way from point A to point B that doesn't actually, that is inauthentic. And mm. And it's like we, we there's consequences for taking shortcuts in life everywhere. You know, we can we can we can cheat anything and get from point A to point B faster. You know, we can drive a race car down the highway and, um, you know, burn a ton of fuel and, and get from point A to point B faster. But is that really the most healthy and sustainable way to do that? I don't know. Maybe we should hop in a, a freight train and, and just chug along, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think that a lot of people have this mentality of going faster, going harder, getting from point A to point B as fast as they can, not caring about the consequences or side effects, just short term results. Uh, and I think that once again, we just need to shift our way of thinking about health as not being like a short term outcome based sort of thing, but you know, I like to focus more on longevity and the quality of the journey throughout that process, not just, you know, how fast can I lose these 15 pounds or whatever it is? <laughs> well, you know, it's yeah. funny that what I'm re what I'm realizing as I hear you talk is so the, the 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 tech bros who are all into this, like their ethos is startup culture, you know, find a need and then sell it. Right. So so they're not they're not even interested in corporate longevity. They're not trying to build the next General Electric to be around for 100 years. Right? Like there's this That's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, um, I mean, we, you know, it's easy to hack human systems, especially new ones that haven't been around for a while to sort of to poke at it, to find all the loopholes. Like I'm thinking about the guy who bought like, you know, twenty thousand dollars worth of custard and got, you know, frequent flyer miles for the rest of his life. <laughs> But to think to think that we can find those hacks in nature seems a, a little hubristic. I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's the great, great word is the hubris. And I think that slowly but surely people are just being put in, you know, finding the their way. And because when it comes down to it, the natural laws, 
they don't change, they don't waver, they're, they're true. And as we push up against them, we learn and everyone's got their own, you know, way of going about this life learning process. And I think a lot of people are, you know, learn by, um, you know, stressing themselves and thinking, and then realizing, oh, that, that actually didn't work that well. Maybe I should try something else. But I, mm-hmm. that, that being said, I think that, you know, there are a lot of people nowadays that are totally wrapped up in the, the sh- you know, quick outcome-based way of living when it comes to business or health or anything else. You're totally right. Hmm. So what are the source for you? What are the sources of those natural laws and how can you tell what they are? Because, you know, just like we can look at like how our ancestors were living and we say, yeah, but they only lived to 39. <laughs> right. So where do, where do you look for for validated evidence of natural laws? So are you asking about nutrition and diet or about I'd other? Say, I, th- I think the, I think in order for the question to have meaning, it's got to be universal. Yeah, that's true, huh? So, I mean, it's interesting because when I think about the the natural laws of nutrition and human physiology, I look to a biochemistry textbook and kind of what we what we've uh, learned over the course of hundreds of years when it comes to how the body works and how the cells are fueled. Um, but when it comes to other laws, I think that we can learn a lot from getting out of our house and getting taking off our shoes and being with nature and just witnessing how the the dynamic interconnectedness that's always present. Um, For example, you know, we, we look at um, like animals when they're, when they're injured, they know exactly what to do. They know exactly how to rest. They know exactly how to get in a cold river or cold stream to allow their, their blood circulation to, to go to their central core and to revitalize their organs and to promote healing that way. And also they're not sanitizing themselves. They're not washing the grass before they eat it. They're not, they're not doing these ridiculous things that humans have come to do in recent times. You know, they, they are just living in a way that is common sense connected to the earth like animals. And, you know, I think we need to remember that we are, animals (laughs) and a lot of us have disconnected from our wildness and i think that there's this wave of reconnection to to being wild animals that has humans kind of intrigued and i think that there's a good reason to rewild ourselves in that way and reconnect with nature in a real genuine and authentic way and i i don't think that means that we have to you know sell our house and throw away our shoes and like move into the woods by any means. I love my luxuries, but I think that living in a way that also just acknowledges that, hey, I'm an animal and I may be in this house right now, but this house is a man-made thing that I have constructed for myself to make my life more comfortable. And I think that I I need to be responsible for maintaining that natural connection because it's part of my responsibility as being a, a wild animal on this planet. Mm. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, if we're talking about being wild animals, of course, we're, we're going to have our, our, our perspective is going to be colored by our culture. And it feels like we're in a very sort of, you know, m- masculine culture. And so when we look at nature, we're going to see cutthroat competition and we're, you know, we're going to see domination. And another culture might look at nature and see all the ways in which 
everything serves everything else and in which in which there's all this cooperation and collaboration. How, how do we make sure we're not looking at nature with our own filters? It's a good point. Good point. I think we look out there and we see what we want to see. Right. And uh, I think the filter, you know, that the, when I when I when you ask that question, what comes to me is that the filter is really our thoughts and our preconceived judgments about anything. And I think that's where, you know, any sort of mindfulness practice comes in, something that allows us to become a neutral observer of our reality and not too much of the, the not the single player in the video game that's doing everything, but like the, you know, the video game console itself, you know, just where, where everything is happening. And as we can cultivate that perspective of just neutral, observational, um, un, unattached, no, you know, no judgment, just, you know, just seeing things as, as they are and not having these filters or perceptions that we look through all the time. Mm. Yeah, it's a word we haven't used, but I'm, I'm sort of feeling it in, under, under every current is like relationship. That yeah. the, 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 the world that we're, that we claim, we're saying is sort of unhealthy and unnatural is one in which we are all atomized, right? We're in, we are separate from everything else. And so we have to, you know, inject things or put things in pill form and ingest them. And you're talking about, you know, animals in relation to the world and to each other and to, and to human beings getting out of our atomization and, and being part of this flow. Yeah. And I think that, that the, um, atomization, I, I haven't really used that term, but I, I like that. It, like, does, is that talking to like individual atoms in a molecule or something like yeah, that? Yeah, just like that we are, we are separate entities and, and there's a chasm that we can't cross. But, you know, that's, that's kind of how I'm using it. I don't know if that's a real word. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I, I feel it. So to me, that is a self-constructed paradigm that doesn't really exist, this atomization, this separation. We create that through our thoughts and through our, you know, moment to moment thinking or past experiences that color our present thinking. Um, so it's not real. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is this atomization. It's just a human construct that we can at will bring into existence and create a perpetual or perceptual filter through which we see separation. But when it comes down to it, when we, you know, once again, when we observe the natural world from an unbiased and just neutral perspective, we don't see that, you know, we, we might, yeah, we might see, you know, a, a lion fight, you know, um, you know, protecting its pride or something like that, but that's ingrained in that, you know, that, that lion is not judging or criticizing whatever other predator is coming in, that line is just acting instinctually without any thoughts, without any judgments, without any shoulds going through the, the mind. It's just doing what it does. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when people come to you for for healing, for health, um, and, and let's let's create a, a fiction of a standard American person 
who's you know eating the standard American diet, has the standard American view of of sort of medical system, economic system. And I know you're in you know you're in Carbondale, so people are more enlightened than that. But but when you get people who are sort of lowest common denominator and they're just they're at the end of their rope. Western medicine has not helped them. Like, where do you begin? Oh, man. Uh, that's a really good question. And I think that I begin wherever someone, I begin wherever there's a crack in that image that I can weave myself in. And I think for most people, that beginning point is nutritionally. You know, I think people are desperately confused and unsure and overwhelmed with what they should be putting in their body and how they should be feeling themselves. And I think that's, I would say, you know, 90% of people, at least that's kind of the the beginning point only because that's what's present for them. Um, but a lot of people have a beginning point of just totally, uh, you know, totally overwhelmed with anxiety or with, thoughts of uh, depression or, or other kind of mental health issues. And that's the beginning point. Um, but it's always, you know, I like the, the question of where do you begin? Because it, it, it is totally, that's what's totally individualized and dependent on person to person. But where we go is to a place of understanding kind of how the world works how the body works and how we can interconnect and interface and relate, you know, that relationship word again, how we can relate with our lives and with the world in a way that's health promoting. Mm. So the beginning point, yeah, I don't think I've got like one definitive answer that is universal, but I think that food is usually where we get to. But I guess, you know, now that I'm speaking to it and thinking a little bit, more rationally about it, really what comes before any behavior change or any action is thoughts, right? And I think a lot of people, you know, I spoke to how a lot of people are just overwhelmed and sometimes like paralyzed, to overwhelmed to a point of paralysis just because there's so many options, so much information, and there's just analysis paralysis sort of thing. So I think that a lot of times the beginning point is actually understanding the nature of thoughts, the nature of feeling overwhelmed and taking the edge off and realizing that in any moment, once again, back to that, that freedom, that health, in any moment, our mental health, our clarity of thinking, our clarity of mind, our peace inside is truly 100% accessible at, to immediately upon removing all these thoughts and judgments and shoulds and, you know, just allowing that stream to flow through our mm -hmm. consciousness, then we can take a breath, we can exhale and we can move into our life and change our behavior and take action from a place that's really grounded and calm and clear and not like, oh my gosh, I feel like shit and now I got to do this to feel better. And, you know, I think a lot of people just have to take that mental thought, you know, anxious edge off before anything is done. So is there a modality or an approach that you lean on for for that for people with anxiety or depression or, you know, various dysfunctional disempowering thoughts? Yeah, there there really isn't. Um, I've been learning um, a kind of a understanding of psychology called the three principles. 
which is the three principles being mind, thought, and consciousness. And the, it, there is no practice or modality or procedure or technique that is involved with this, but it's simply pointing out really how the human mind works and how the human experience works and uh, allowing people to just have their own insights and understanding through just looking at their life, looking at their thoughts from more of a neutral place. Um, so, so no real, no real um, procedure. But that being said, practically, physically, I really am an advocate for breathing. I think that a lot. <laughs> oh, you, you radical, you. Yeah, I think that a humans, lot of people humans should breathe. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that a lot of people have forgotten how to breathe. And I think that once they take a real conscious exhale, it's a game changer. And that it, because the breath is kind of the connection between our body and our mind. And I think that a lot of people who are caught up in, our, in their thinking, they can get to a place of understanding and clarity physically by just exhaling, by just letting out the air. And then receiving, you know, it's like we, what one person said to me a while back, I, I was into breath work a lot. And, you know, I came across this teaching that, you know, do we breathe or are we being breathed? Mm -hmm. And I think that experiencing being breathed is really humbling and allows us just that direct connection in an instant to our innate health. Mm. Meaning, so, meaning the, do, the doing breath work where it's very prescriptive, like, you know, two in, two out, four, seven, eight, can have value in shifting our physiology, but it's still a kind of a relic of a domination mindset. Like, all right, I'm going to fix myself. And I don't really trust my the underlying capacity of my body as opposed to what you're saying is to be breathed is to surrender to the fact that there's something you know there's something bigger than you at work in your own physiology yeah and i'm a proponent of breath work um as well kind of the more prescriptive sort of intensive kind of stuff to oxygenate the body and get out of the head and all this stuff i think it's powerful but I think that the, the non-prescriptive, the just breathing, the just, and specifically it's the exhale, it's the exhalation that directly activates the parasympathetic nervous system, or more appropriately, more accurately, it just turns off the sympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic is always there. The, the rest, the calm, the peace, the healing, it's always there. Sometimes the sympathetic is just overriding that. So exhaling, it takes off the sympathetic nervous system and allows us to connect with who we are. And it allows us to experience, experience our healing potential. We started by talking about how human beings are self-healing organisms. And we only are self-healing organisms if we have an environment internally and if we're in an environment externally that promotes that. And one way that a lot of people are living in this world, they might be eating all the right food, might be doing all the exercise, might be doing all the things, but if they are not allowing their parasympathetic nervous system to dominate, they're not healing. They're not detoxifying. They're not 
living along, you know, they're not, you know, their longevity is dampened because they are in the wrong, the, the wrong switch is flipped. Mm. So is that something that you would assess through like heart rate variability? Yeah, I love heart rate variability. I don't do so much of that clinically, practically. However, I am wanting to get into that. I don't have, I actually just have an app on my phone that I use. Um, but I, I, so I'm, I'm familiar with like the heart math devices and I don't have one. So to answer your question, uh -huh. I don't assess, I don't really use it clinically so much. Sometimes I do point people to those kind of apps, but I'd love to do it more clinically. I do most of my business and practice is actually online. Uh -huh. So I don't have the direct, like, let me measure your heart rate variability here in the office kind of thing. Okay. So, yeah. um, so you'll, you'll work with people on just being conscious of, of exhaling. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, most of us just sort of hold our breath chronically, right? So that's, uh, you know, there's, there's generally some breath in there that could be let go. Yeah. And if uh -huh. you think about that, that stale breath, you're so right. We hold it in and, you know, we're breathing from this point. And if you think about that, you know, energetically, that stale breath and also kind of physiologically, the toxins that build up, the carbon dioxide that builds up, the acid that builds up, you need to let that go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so I guess if you, you know, if we're if we're thinking specifically about nutrition and we're thinking just about the, the food as the fuel, well, any any engine and you know i don't understand anything about you know cars but i believe that there's oxygen involved in the you know in the combustion. In the combustion yeah like there's carburetors and shit like that like that the the quality of the air intake like I, my cars have air filters i'm pretty sure right like and so, so do you yeah so so the air the air that we breathe is is probably of equal importance to the, the fuel that we take in. You know, that's a really good point. I don't even, I don't even really emphasize that personally or haven't thought too much about it um, because, you know, when it comes down to the cellular metabolism, it's just oxygen. You know, we breathe in a lot of air and in with, along with oxygen, which is only just a fraction of the air that we breathe in. There's, you know, nitrogen, of course, and there's particulate matter that we don't want. And there's all sorts of stuff. But it's really the oxygen that is promoting the cellular respiration, the cellular metabolism and creating energy on that cellular level. So, yeah, I, I guess what I'm what I'm thinking about is, you know, oxygen is going to be oxygen is going to be oxygen, just O2, two oxygen molecules. Um, so but yeah, we want to we want to breathe air. The quality of the air should be rich in oxygen and not so rich in the things that don't promote cellular respiration and metabolism. Hmm. Gotcha. Um, so, so we've we've got the, you know the food, and I don't think we I don't think we need to talk about this. And on you know this, I cover that plenty in the podcast. Um, yeah. But when people come to you with other issues like clearly there's an anxiety or depression um, and they're not particularly interested in changing their diet. How far can you take them before the diet becomes kind of a deal breaker? Like how how healthy can you be? How happy can you be? And I think about this a lot in terms of like 
other modalities and like spiritual practices. And I see people who are and yet they're eating crap or they're eating lots of meat. And I'm like, you know, there's a disconnect. So how, how do you see the relationship between all this other sort of holistic, psychological, spiritual, mental, emotional stuff and the, the bedrock of the, the food we're eating? Yeah, this is a great conversation to dive into a little bit because I think I've been wrapped up in, you know, psychological teachings and spiritual communities and and just witnessing those colleagues and friends that are so enlightened for lack of a better term, psychologically or spiritually and just so disconnected from how they're taking care of their physical physical bodies. It's really, you know, amazing to me. It's amazing to me and I think that I think that your psych your psyche and your spirit can take you a long way with regard to how healthy you are physically, emotionally, spiritually, and and on all levels. Um, but back to this kind of principle of you know living aligned with the laws of nature, the natural laws are gonna have their way with you. And I think that a lot of people go up to the edge of taking care of themselves on all levels of, you know, mental, emotional, spiritually. And finally, you know, people usually have insights because those people are connected with their, we're all connected with it, but, you know, the, the people who are more psychologically and spiritually attuned have a more of a connection with their innate wisdom because they're just focusing and, and living from that place more maybe. So oftentimes that innate wisdom is telling people, hey, go see, uh, you know, go see Dr. Benjamin. Hey, go to well, start health and like, hey, start this healthy living routine. So I, a lot of people are coming to me with just a curiosity, like, oh, I've been taking care of myself so well on all levels beyond physically, but I have re I recognize that I've got to do something when it comes to this physical world reality that I'm in. So I don't think mm -hmm. I'm speaking to your question. Um, your question is how far can someone go you know, with regard to their health journey without taking into account food. And I think, you know, if I would put a percentage on it, I think people can be 80% optimal with uh, mm. just taking into account their, you know, mind, emotion, and spirit. And 20% at least or so, give or take, I don't know, um, comes from that physical world reality living aligned with physical laws of nutrition of movement of breathing of drinking water these kind of things um and yeah I, I do think that the bulk of the of health comes from mind emotion connection with nature connection with the universe i i do and so yeah i don't know 80 80 yeah. 20 years well, I realize, yeah, ask, asking for a number is not particularly useful. But, but it, you know, it's interesting. I think that there's a lot of, um, I would say, spiritual culture that denigrates the physical world, right? That, like, this, this isn't real or, you know, this is the world of illusion. Um, that, used be, that used to be me for some time. Yeah, I used to, like, you know, oh, it's just a physical body, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And then, you know, there, there is also the teaching that the body is the temple. And I really resonate with that. You know, we, our spirit is housed in, in physical form in this life. That's what it's all about. It's about the form and the formless. 
It's about the coming together and the balancing and the understanding the nature of both of those things. So, yeah. Yes. And I guess there's also another, I would call it a toxic um, imitation of spirituality that would, that would say that like whatever your physical fortune is, it's based on, you know, your alignment with, you know, law of attraction or, or whatever else. So that we get to, you know, we get to feel, we get to blame people for their, for, for their maladies for not being, you know, spiritual or aligned enough, which I think can also, uh, you know, throw, throw a wrench in our, in our understanding of, of how to move towards healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same, you know, what, what another thing that came to me is a lot of spiritual teachings and communities, you know, are vegetarian and pretty mindful of, of their consumption physically, you know, and their mm-hmm. relation with the physical world. So I think that the disconnect from physical and the disregard for the physical is more of a modern phenomenon. I, I, you know, I don't know for sure because I haven't been in this world and this life for that long to have witnessed or, you know, critiqued it. But I, I feel like only in more recent times are really, are really people just saying, oh, let's just disregard this physical world. Because if we look back at ancient spiritual traditions and cultures, they, they were living aligned with the natural laws and they had a, were eating a more or less like a, you know, natural diet that, you know, was, they, they had that awareness and that connection. And I think that it's only more in more recent times that we've been disconnecting and disregarding that the physical nature of who we are. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> um, so when, when you, um, when you work with people and like, like there's a, you know, when we talk about natural laws, like there's the, the the natural laws of the physical world, which is to say, like, eat a lot of plants, don't eat crap. And there's also sort of natural psychological human laws, like do what other people are doing, fit in, don't stand out. What do you do when the when all of a sudden they're in conflict? Like you know, you get somebody eating better and being healthier, and all of a sudden they feel like they're ostracized from the you know the life that they knew, and that they're still enmeshed in. Well, you know, yeah, I think a lot of people more and more are finding themselves in that place um, just because, you know, the the I don't know what the percentage of plant based eaters are now, but it's growing. And so there's as it grows, there's more and more people who are questioned and criticized and put up against the wall. And I think we all you know, your your listeners are probably well aware of that feeling of oh, like, you know, I'm definitely going against the grain here. Um, but I think it's important to remember that the the grain going the game the grain that we're going against is socially fabricated. You know, it's socially constructed. Really, only in the last fifty years or so, I think. I mean, may, you know, maybe a hundred years have have we gotten to the place where the bulk, the vast majority of food that people eat is actually not real food. I mean, that's, that's only a recent phenomenon that people are eating predominantly food-like substances rather than food, you know? So I think eating real food is, is a way that humans have an opportunity of reconnecting with nature, eating real food, reconnecting with nature. And while that may feel like we're going against the grain, the grain is once again, just kind of a socially constructed 
ridiculous thing. And I think that more, you know, you and I know that more and more people are waking up to how awesome it is to reconnect with nature through nutrition. And we experience the benefits on all level, on all levels. So that's my, I don't know if I really spoke to your question, but it's, it's a good one because I think more and more people are finding themselves in that kind of situation psychologically. Yeah. Well, I like your answers better than my questions anyway. So don't, don't, don't worry. This is, this isn't meet the press, you know, <laughs> I know. Right. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah. So what, what, um, what do you do to be healthy? What are, what are your practices? Oh, I definitely try and practice what I preach. And honestly, like, yeah, I, I think that, first of all, to start off acknowledging that it is a practice, holy cow, that kind of takes the pressure off um, that we don't have to be the master of our life in any day. You know, understanding that life is a practice. I love seeing life that way. Um, geez, <laughs> thanks for the reminder. Life is a practice. Um, so, <laughs> so, first of all, coming from that place, knowing that we don't have to be perfect. I mean, taking the edge off. And, but when it comes to just daily habits, is that kind of what you're wanting to get from me? Or yeah, yeah. So I used to be a oh, man. What's the what would the adjective be? Just a overly ambitious meditator um, mm. to a to a fault. Um, I met it, you know, just too much. I don't know. Just I was mindlessly meditating, not mindfully meditating. <laughs> you know, just out of a habit. Uh -huh. Out of a, where did that where did that come from? How did how did that arise? Well, it started very purely from place, you know, I could go in a long story about how I, how and why I started meditating, but it just got to a place where my ego was driving the show. Like, oh, I'm a meditator. And that means I've got to set my life up in a way that allows my ego to get its fix of meditation, which is really kind of, <laughs> which is really kind of ridiculous. What, I can I, think, can I, can I yeah. ask what, what was the form of meditation? Um, it, it definitely varied, um, but predominantly like Vipassana. Okay. And for, for people who don't know what that is? That is a, a form of Buddhist meditation where you're essentially just observing the physical feelings and as well as the thoughts and, um, you know, just in the breath. Uh -huh. It's just kind of the, the pure, I guess, I, you know, I don't have a, I'm not a meditation teacher or, or, philosopher but i think it's kind of a pure place of meditation mm -hmm. that goes way back you know buddha taught it and stuff uh-huh and you were yeah. you were you were a, your ego was it was able to sneak in there oh it, absolutely right it, it was it, it became it. it became the thing that wasn't being observed like <laughs> yeah my well my ego let's let's get be real here it sneaks in everywhere it can <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, it started sneaking in and I guess, you know, to make a long story short, it was just like this kind of light bulb. What the heck? Like, why am I doing this? Um, and I think I was more or less in a peaceful frame of mind, like throughout my day to day, moment to moment. And I realized that I was kind of just wasting time giving my ego its fix of meditation. And I kind of just like cold Turkey stopped it. And 
I've been, I've survived a couple uh-huh. of years without meditating. And um, that's not to say that I don't live in a way that promotes a meditative state of mind. Let, you know, just to be clear, I, I stopped sitting down on a cushion prescriptively. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what I stopped. I didn't stop living mindfully and, and, and with the intention of cultivating a meditative state of mind. Yeah. See, for, for me, what I, what I feel coming up for me now is a fear uh, that that drives my quest for purity, right? Like if I am not meditating 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes afternoon, then I'm going to stop meditating and I'm going to stop caring about people and I'm going to like have road rage and scream at clerks at Costco. And, you know, the same thing around food. Like if I don't have these, you know, these rules where I have to master myself, that there's that, that I can feel this fundamental lack of trust in the organism that is me. Um, so I'm wondering, like, when you when you just sort of quit meditating, were you worried that, like, it was all going to fall apart? Or did you have other things to replace it with? <laughs> well, a lot, around the time when I quit meditating, I was starting to understand the nature of how the mind works. And I was understanding that my mental health my clarity, my inner peace was not dependent upon anything that was going on in the outside world, whether it was a meditation practice, whether it was a car accident, whether it was politics, nothing in the outside world was responsible for my inside feeling in any moment. So as I was cultivating that understanding of where my emotional experiences come from, I was like, oh, well, I guess that, that, um, that backs up this feeling, this intuitive feeling that I have to stop meditating. It's kind of reassuring and reaffirming, hey, I don't need to do this to feel well. I actually just need to be present in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I spoke a little bit to it before how, you know, mental health and emotional health is having the freedom to experience the the wide range of emotional experiences that we are gifted with in this life without thought or judgment or without getting hung up on any of them. So I think that's in essence what a lot of meditation teaching is. However, the meditation practice is I think a lot of times gets separate separated from the teaching a lot of you know a lot of people forget that oh i'm meditating in order to cultivate this understanding but the understanding can be available and present and accessible irregardless of what where your physical body is or what it's doing mm. okay so moving from meditation to a generalized mindfulness other other practices what you mentioned, uh, you know, animals dunking in cold rivers. Do you do, you know, cold water stuff or particular types of breath work or like what, yeah. what else? What else is part of, of your toolkit? Yeah, for sure. Personally, I am. Well, I think always absolutely at the very least, I take a cold shower every day. Um, so yes, I, and not fully cold, you know, sometimes, especially in the wintertime, of course, you know, I take a warm shower and then end it with cold and we could dive in and talk about how and why that's really helpful. But, um, let's talk about why it's really helpful. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, what it does, you know, a lot of people who are abusing hot water and just taking hot water, that leaves their inner organs, their vital organs dried out. All of the blood when you're in a hot shower goes from your inner organs to your skin. That's the way that our bodies thermoregulate and, and control temperature of the body. Um, so when we plunge ourselves in a cold river or turn the shower from hot to cold, all of the blood that was in the skin goes right back into the vital organs and that regenerates or, or you know, it gives this boost to our vital organs and, it, and it, all this fresh blood, fresh oxygen, fresh nutrients. And we feel that, you know, we feel the clarity of mind that comes with that. Hmm. So in a uh, nutshell. So, so, so how cold and how long? Well, as cold as possible and as long as possible, but that, you know, once again, getting back to this uh, ego thing. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> um, you know, some, day, some days um, it is just 10 seconds. Uh, some uh -huh. days, you know, it's five minutes of straight ice. And, uh, and it just, it's like, what, what's your body asking for? I, I like to remind myself and remind people that I'm working with that, I don't have the answers. Your body has the answers. So I'm really a proponent mm. of connecting with the, the wisdom of the body and, and learning how to trust that. Um, so yeah, some days it's 10 seconds, some days it's, you know, five minutes, but yeah. Um, luckily in Colorado, we've got a bunch of cold rivers and, and I grew up in Phoenix where the, the cold water in the summer was like <laughs> 80 degrees or something. So <laughs> Um, I do have a trick for, for that. I think Wim Hof uh, has taught this in his courses. You can get a bucket of ice and poke holes in the bucket, put that bucket over the shower head so the shower kind of oh. through the ice, and that, that'll give you a cold shower. Oh, okay. I can see yeah. that. I, can, I, I need a different shower head, but uh, <laughs> yeah. that's good. Um, what else? So, yeah, you... water, okay. breath. And I, I'm, I don't have like a real regimented breath work routine at the moment, but like I said, focusing on the exhale, I think whenever I'm caught up, whenever I catch myself, right, I think the power, you know, awareness of when we're caught up in our thinking, when we're feeling a little anxious, when we're feeling on edge, I mean, just having that awareness is whew, super powerful stuff. And But after we have that awareness, then it, then the immediate action that can be taken is just like letting all the air out hmm. and receiving that next breath. And um, that I think is the game changer for me. But beyond that, with regard to breath work, I think just focusing on breathing through the nose, the nose is where we're supposed to breathe through. Um, the mouth is where we're supposed to exhale from. And um, the belly is where we're supposed to breathe from because the belly is, as we focus on breathing in our belly, we focus on getting the air in through our nose deep into our lungs rather than just breathing in this top, you know, 20% of our lung space. And that allows for that old stagnant energy and air to be circulating and on both a physiologic and energetic and psychological level, it's, it's powerful. Hmm. Okay. So you mentioned that you're a naturopath. So, yeah. so I have a prejudice about naturopaths based on pre prior experience. Um, I I can you, guess what. Would is. you like to guess what it is? Do, 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 uh, is your prejudice um, lots of supplements? Lots of supplements and a very loose affiliation with evidence. I don't. Okay. Well, I, at least yeah. at least in terms of the the the, the supplements there. So, yeah, that's 
that's probably true. Um, I mean, yeah, naturopathic education is very evidence-based nowadays, um, which I think, you know, it's like a double-edged sword kind of thing. Um, but yeah, naturopaths are notorious for prescribing a lot of supplements. And I think a lot of them, their livelihood is kind of dependent on supplement sales. <laughs> so and... were, you, were, you, were you taught that at some point? Uh, it's funny because no, that's, we didn't have a class in school of like how to sell supplements or, or, I mean, we did learn about herbs is like a huge thing, botanical medicine. And, um, I, and to me, botanical medicine is a little different than supplements because botanicals are, are natural. They're, they're purely natural medicines and, Ideally, they don't come in a capsule. Ideally, they come directly from a plant. We infuse them in a tea. We maybe we make a tincture out of it. Mm. Um, I do some botanical medicine in my practice, but I like to remind all of my clients and all of my colleagues, and I'll remind you as well and all the listeners, that supplements are called supplements because they supplement something. And what they mm -hmm. supplement is your life. You know, a lot of people look to the supplement as the cure-all the fix, the magic potion. But we have to remember that living in accordance with the laws of nature, once again, we build a strong foundation of health. And on top of that, maybe at times for some period of time, for some symptom or acute thing, we might supplement with something. Hmm. And it's not, it is, the supplements is not part of your foundation of health. All right. Well, the argument that I hear, there's, there's really two of them. One, one is that um, I guess they're essentially two, two halves of the same argument is that, well, the modern world is very toxic and stressful. So the things that we did before aren't enough. And the other is that, well, all our soils are depleted, so we're not getting enough, you know, magnesium, zinc, copper, whatever. And so here's my, you know, picometer concoction for $50 for a 16 ounce bottle that you'd have to keep taking for the rest of your life. Like how, how, how do you evaluate those claims? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that you brought up the, I think the second claim about the soil depletion, um, I think that's more and more of a real deal. I think a lot of people are eating food that's bought at the grocery market that's shipped across the, you know, the continent or the world that's irradiated. And essentially, we know that food is medicine, but the food that we have access to and, you know, for the large part of us today in our world is not as medicinal as it was even 10 or 15 years ago. So I think that, you know, the second point about minerals is a real deal. And I do the, the minerals is the one exception of my, when I, when, you know, sometimes I do see that people would benefit from a multi-mineral replacement and that is best, not a capsule, not an individualized thing, but the, the multi-minerals that I generally recommend are soil-derived, like, you know, from the earth minerals, like the humic acid and fulvic acid kind of stuff. Um, so that's the one exception that I have. Interesting that you brought it up to the supplements. But with everything else, you know, when we're talking about detoxification, our bodies know how to detoxify. The key to detoxification is removing the toxins. And I think a lot of people are, you know, it's like, oh, duh. Um, <laughs> but I think a lot of people are trying to detoxify while they're toxifying. Mm -hmm. And I think that step one, take out the toxins. Step two, promote the detoxification pathways naturally with food. 
you know, the food provides all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that your liver needs to run all of those pathways. It's, and then hydration, of course, and breathing, those are also important for detoxification. Mm -hmm. So for hydration, do you have a prescription for the amount of water to drink or because I know a lot of people um, say that we, we, we're not really in touch with our thirst. So if you're going to like be an intuitive water drinker, you're probably not going to drink enough. And yet you're also saying, like, listen to your body. So where do you, where do you come down on that? That's a good point. I, I, you know, I haven't. Yeah, I don't really rely on my body. You're chugging water here. That's exactly what I should be doing. I didn't bring my water. In. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't. Yeah, when it comes to thirst, I think, you know, when people say that when you experience thirst, it's far too late. And I agree with that. I think that. Um, generally speaking, people should be drinking throughout the day. And that's personally where I fall, where, you know, where one of my shortcomings is, is with, with regard to my health. I, I tend to wake up in the morning, drink a couple liters of water, and then kind of go hours throughout the day without, um, without <laughs> sipping on anything sometimes. Um, so I personally, you know, need to have my quart of water on my desk like you do. But um, with regard, yeah, some people, you know, who are chronically and severely dehydrated do need a protocol for rehydration. I think that there's a proper way of doing that. And also, it's important to look at the water. Not all water is the same. Um, tap water oftentimes has um, all sorts of chlorine and fluoride and pharmaceutical residues and byproducts and all sorts of things that we don't want in our bodies. And that is not supporting our cellular hydration. We need water that is naturally alkaline, meaning that, and I think a lot of people are confused about that. Alkaline water really just means that it's rich in minerals. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, spring water is alkaline. Spring water is really what humans are designed to drink. Not all of us have access to a beautiful spring at, at our back door. I wish I did. Um, but the next best thing is a, a filter that removes the bad stuff, but leaves in the good stuff because we mm -hmm. need, we those minerals. Right. So if my, let's say, well water for, were, for the sake of argument, pH 6.3, you would say that that's uh, not so good. Well, it probably would, wouldn't be. Um, well, it is. We had it tested. It, said it was at 6.3. Well, it would be interesting to see what is, yeah, it'd be interesting to look at the test and see what else is in that. Because if it, well water is typically rich in minerals that naturally alkalinize the water. Um, so I don't know. Hmm. All right. <laughs> now I'm, now I'm scared. No, I think, I mean, you're, when it comes down to it though, you know, we have to remember that our body knows how to maintain balance, especially over a period of time. Um, so um, as long as there's not exorbitant amounts of things that are chronically throwing your body out of balance, it's okay. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, it would be yeah, it would be interesting to look at that. Uh -huh. So is there a filtration system or method or way of thinking about it that you recommend for people who who don't live near a spring who have to rely on tap water? Yeah, we did a fair amount of research um before we installed a you know under sink filter. Uh and we came across one that is really good at filtering out, like I said, all of the the bad stuff, but leaving in the good stuff. And one of the the molecules that is really scary that I'm sure your listeners know about is the glyphosate. And I think a lot of which is in our, our water supply. 
And a lot of filtration systems may filter out glyphosate, but not a lot of not a lot of them are testing how well they do that. Mm. So we we found one that um, was tested and you know pretty reliable. And uh, so that one's called ProPure. Um, and I think they make a whole bunch of different filtration systems, like whole house and under sink and countertop stuff. But yeah, we went with that and. Yeah, we're we're happy with it, and I would. I've been wanting to test to see exactly how well it's doing, but I haven't gotten around to that yet. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, um, for you mentioned a, you know one one particular brand, but you got, so for and you mentioned that you do most of your work online. So, uh, for people who are curious about uh, how they can improve their health with your guidance, how would they find you? Yeah, they can find me on my website, www.alter.health. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Benjamin Alter. And um, yeah, they can find and, me. And, and do- doctor, is that DR or spelled out? D- yeah. yeah, DR Benjamin Alter on in- Instagram. And uh, yeah, we work with people over a period of time. And uh, yeah, we do, we do it all. <laughs> you know, we, we do our best to weave in the mental, emotional, spiritual components of health, because I think like it came up in this conversation, I think it's like a good 75, 80% of what constitutes someone's experience of health in in a day. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more often than not neglected a little bit. And uh, so we, we focus there when we can. And in order to do that, you know, we, we meet with people over a period of time and we kind of like to alternate physically focused visits, you know, optimizing nutrition and biochemistry and all that important stuff with the, the, I guess you could call it metaphysically focused visits, which are, you know, going beneath the surface a little bit. Gotcha. So let's, we'll include uh, links to all that in the show notes. Um, Great. Yeah. Thank you. This is, uh, you, you've got me sort of thinking about sort of the checklist of my own health and, you know, where I'm doing really good because I'm like a public figure about it and where where there's, you know, it's ego involvement that may not be producing results and where uh, I've been neglecting something. So this is this conversation for me has been a a very useful um, sort of, uh, you know, diagnostic for, uh, for areas where I can move forward. Thank you. I honestly, it's been like the the same for me. It's, it's really, I think, a powerful mm-hmm. practice to to look back and to reflect and take a little inventory. And sometimes I use the analogy of like yoga. You know, we we all love a good yoga practice that makes us sweat and you know our warrior poses and all the vinyasas mm-hmm. and stuff. But when it comes down to it, one of the most important posture is the the shavasana. <laughs> the laying down and the receiving of the benefits of the yoga. So I think that a lot of us in our life need a little bit more shavasana, which is that kind of reflective, mm-hmm. honest inventory and just, you know, acting from that place. All right. I'm, I'm going to go into shavasana right, right after this. <laughs> Good so, deal. Good so Dr. Benjamin Alter, thank you so much for all the work you do, for the wisdom you dish out on your website and for taking the time today. My pleasure, Dr. Howard. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) All right. Take care. 
All right. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. What a fascinating and warm and loving person Ben Alter is, isn't he? So if you did like this episode and you'd like to support the mission of the Plant Yourself podcast, one way to do so that's absolutely free is to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can share this episode with friends, post it in social media, let people know. And that helps us grow as well and reach more people and spread this wonderful message. Another way to support the show, of course, is with your pocketbook. The podcast is and will remain free for everyone. And it's also advertising free. So if you would like to help sponsor this advertising free, non beholden, independent source of information about individual and planetary health and all that goes along with it, you can contribute on a monthly basis to our Patreon account and just go to plantyourself.com and look on the right sidebar for the Patreon link. Or you can go to Patreon and just search for plant yourself. And even a dollar a month makes a big difference. And of course, uh, when you contribute, you also get to uh, hear your voice said too quickly at the end of every single episode if you so choose. Ah, so in garden news, the sweet potatoes are all over the house curing. Um, so in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to start eating those. And the kale that we just planted is looking pretty good. The bugs have died down, so we're hoping for a good greens harvest. And that's about it for the garden. In running news, I think I'm ready to start running faster. I did a, uh, a decent uh, long run with Josh. We were in D.C. over the weekend so on Saturday morning. Um, did about 10 with him at a, you know, between a nine and 10 minute average pace. It felt pretty good. Uh, when I run on my own, I'm still slower than that. So uh, I am thinking about it may do by the end of the day, sign up for the 10 miler at uh, the uh, tobacco trail in Durham on October 26th, which would then give me a reason to start doing some some more sprints and speed things up a little bit. But we, we shall see. I want to make sure that I take the time to heal completely. Although there is a part of my brain that's telling me that I'm being a little bit of a wuss right now. All right. Thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. Check out willridenauer.com for more of his beautiful Kora music from West Africa. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons, as in Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Brands, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Polkinovsky, David Isaac, the mysterious Michelle X, Elizabeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rollins, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Ramsey Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Liam Peterson, Janet Selby, Carol Sam Franzek, Janet Benham, Gillis, David Donnie, Hubler, Cyber, Dono Vizov. Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, The Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lindemann, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Burke, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, A Plant, Happy Organ, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Coble, Shell Rutless, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rolls, Linda Yacht, Julie Lang, Home Hedegaard, Eden Tuzan, Wa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. Aviva Lael, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Dimmitt, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lenquist, Valerie Hummel, Deb Casilla, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, good seeing you, Levy in D.C., Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny. 
Stephen Lean and Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Moulton, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Basher, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Joan Borstein, Diane Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, and Connie Rogers for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Strong Fronsek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argitati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Aviva L, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R, Susan Laverty, The Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, The Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis. Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Lenane Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leenan. Patty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashor, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Abedable Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>